0: You're listening to Drinking on the Job, D-O-T-J. I'm your host, John Coyle. Drinking on the Job is a toast to the culture of food, wine, and all things fermented. We'll be talking with winemakers, musicians, artists, late-night bartenders, scoundrels, and more. It's time to grab a glass before its last call. If the restaurant industry is theater, then Mia Van de Water is at center stage. She is one of an elite group of female master sommeliers in the U.S., has worked at the number one restaurant in the world, 11 Madison Park, and is ushering in a new world order of food and wine. Drinking on the Job, episode 69, starts now. Mia Vanderwater is an MS MS. She passed it twice, so I'm going to say it. I'd wear two pins and I'd wear them proud if I were you. You have quite yes, a unique resume. Thanks for being on.
1: My pleasure to be yeah. here.
0: So one minute you're in the movie Hansel and Gretel. Next minute you're discussing Vintage Barolo and the shortened truffle season. How's that for the mashup of your career, <laughs> right? I mean, Because you are a- an actress and in movies and television and theater and all that stuff, right?
1: I was. I was. Um, you know, the, I've, I've worked in restaurants for 20 years. Um, I started as a busser and a food runner when I was 16, and I've always worked in restaurants. I, up until three months ago, really had never had a different job that was outside of a restaurant floor. And I realized after a certain amount of time in New York, about five years of being here and working in restaurants during the day, and then also trying to... um, make a living of some sort as an actor around that that the like the entertainment industry is it's like a bad boyfriend you know it's a it's a very bad Uh, relationship you know when it's good you're like this is the most amazing i've ever felt like everything is amazing this is going to be like i love this forever and then most of the time, you're like, what did I do wrong? Is this ever going to change? Why do I feel terrible about myself all the time? The Why does he call me? You know? <laughs>
0: right. yeah. uh, um,
1: and it's very emotionally taxing. And I had been essentially given a job as a like, part-time sommelier at North End Grill, which was a restaurant that I had just opened for Danny Meyer.
0: And so were you always a New Yorker? I mean, because you went to school at Emerson, so you were in Boston. I went
1: to school in Boston. I All grew right. up in Colorado. Okay. I went to school in Boston. came down here in 2008, three months, three months, three weeks before the um, the stock market crashed.
0: Mm-hmm. Perfect so, timing. Yeah. yeah. First
1: yeah. September 3rd, 2008 is when I got here. Um, and so I started working for Union Square Hospitality Group then. Um, and worked for them for the first nine years of my being here. Oh, but so you
0: a long time. I didn't know you worked for them that long. Yeah,
1: I was okay. at Union Square Cafe when I first got to the city.
0: So what was the, uh, probably the best moment in your acting career? And are, are you still doing it? Like, do you go out on any no, like, go-sees or auditions? Yeah, retired. I'm retired, John. Way young to be retired. <laughs> Something you can revisit later. Um, so I did some, some acting as well when I was younger. And I always thought, like, you know, now I'm much older, so now I could play a character. I'd be a perfect, like, cop. An old uh-huh. Irish cop, I'd be like, I am right out of like central casting. Right. So, but it's always something you can revisit. So for one of my favorite moments when I was uh, uh, performing was I got to perform at the public theater mm. on a New Year's Eve uh, night with this group. I was with Mental Furniture, all writers and performers, and New Year's Eve standing on stage in New York City and then coming out to lobby to the party afterwards. And I thought, my God, there's nothing that feels as good as this, right? Right. So, what was that moment for you like
1: So the most work I ever did for actual money was in two thousand ten um, that was one of the year that was I think the year I decided i wasn't going to do work for free anymore. I was only going to work if someone paid me. Um, and I was coming off of this really lovely summer in Brooklyn where I was doing a show at night for a theater company and then teaching movement for young actors during the day oh, at, a, cool. at a camp that they ran as well. Uh, and it was an amazing group of people. It's a Piper Theater company, and they're still there in Park Slope. Oh, um, they're cool. wonderful. So I was coming off of that, and then I got cast in this independent feature called I Hate Tom Petty. And... We shot it up in Connecticut. And the producer put us up in his home, which is this extraordinary like architectural digest cover house. Wow! Um, and they were also super lovely. They just put the four principal cast members up in the house. And it was a super fun role. And I got to sing, which I didn't get to sing very often in my career because I'm an actor who sings and not an actor singer. Okay. Um, but it was all about these these young people starting a band together, and the I had so much fun making that film. And then the producer, a guy named Woodson Duncan, was a big wine collector, and he likes. So, it came up at some point that I was like sort of interested in wine and right. really didn't know anything about anything. Um, and so we went downstairs. One night, because we had asked if we could go out, if someone could take us to the store so we could buy some beer, because we're all like in our early 20s, sure. you know? Oh, yeah. Um, and Watson's like, why do you want to drink beer? We could go drink wine. And we were like, oh, mm,
0: wines for old we people." We didn't realize
1: that that was on the table. <laughs> right,
0: okay.
1: Uh, <laughs> right. So we went downstairs, and he was like, what do you like to drink? And I was like, I think I like Nuit Saint George. And he said, but that's a village wine. Yeah. Like, like real, like let's. I was like, I had no idea what I was doing, so we went downstairs. Wait, how'd you
0: pull that one out, Nuit New, New Saint George? Because
1: I'd have some Nuit Saint Georges, <laughs> okay. and I thought it was tasty. Yeah, okay, good yeah, that's about yeah. it. Okay, all right. Um, I mean, like, I, I mean, I knew it was Burgundy. I think we, had, I think we had started in Burgundy, and he had asked me like what my favorite Burgundy wine was, um, and he pulled out a bottle of 1985 Jean Gros Richebourg and he was like, "Do you want to drink this?" Holy shit. And I was like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that wine's as old as I am and I definitely know it's really fancy and really expensive. <laughs> you
0: know, that's like giving my like, 18-year-old son, like, hey, 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 you feel like driving a, here's a Ferrari. Go take a, go take a spin around the block in a Ferrari, right? Like, do you look back now and go, I, did, I picked up none of the bass notes. There was no mid Like, do you I look mean, back in retro? I, like I remember
1: appreciating it. Okay. I remember, yep. so I, and I wrote it all down at the time, because from that point on, if we, were at, if we were at the house for dinner and not on location somewhere, we would go downstairs and he would pull something out. Oh, that's cool. Um, and it turns out that Woodson's favorite things are the 1996 vintage Dujac and Ponceau Claude La Roche. So we had a lot of... <laughs>
0: So for the poor people that, who are listening, and I literally mean the poor people listening like what the, what, what are those costs now what, like a thousand dollars a bottle oh, they were probably four hundred um, then okay. Big seller. so now I'm seeing where the the love and the obsession for wine and by the way you said you were taking notes back then you were writing well, notes down well I knew
1: down. well at the time I was like I'm never gonna I'm, I know that I'm never gonna get to drink wine like this again ever like I, I know that this right. is like really out of my league yeah. um, and I wanted to write it down so I like un- could I remember it I have no idea where that, those notes are actually
0: that'd be cool to stumble on um,
1: huh. yeah but I really like the thing is that I I the things that I love about the theater and um and and film although film's a little bit different is it's the it's the like the creative collaboration it's this like deep tribal like sort of us against the world kind of relationship that you develop with the people that you work with Um, and then like from a performative standpoint You know, we we create experiences for people and you get immediate feedback in the theater. You don't get immediate feedback on film, but um, Mm -hmm. you get immediate feedback about how you've done and whether people liked it or not. And all of that really extends into hospitality. It is the same thing. It's just a dinner instead of a show.
0: All right. Congrats. You beat me to my parallel. (laughs) Because <laughs> I was, I was, that was, actually was like, yeah, I'm going to talk to you about this. and You just explained it better than I could have even asked you a fucking question about it. Um, but, you know, for, I, I feel the same way. Like, uh, um, particularly with the restaurant that you worked in. I mean, you worked at 11 Madison Park, which mm-hmm. at one point was considered the third best restaurant in the world. And I think became number one. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Best restaurant in mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. And so just being in that room. Uh, with that kind of pressure because people are spending an inordinate amount of wa- uh, money on a tasting menu or three four hundred dollars a person without wine and so you your level of performance is uh, is uh, it has to be incredibly high walk me through like what happens on a night on any given night some of the pressures that you might feel and like who's the VIP on table ten and uh, this table's only drinking you know a deep burgundy and like what you know, like some of the Idea? Could you recreate something like a feeling of what that's like for people who are listening? Like,
1: I mean, I so mean, but you seem
0: very calm and cool, and that's why I'm saying, being on stage and being a performer, um, it works wonderfully with this symbiotic relationship with being a a server in a psalm, particularly where it's a it's a confidence thing. Right? If you're tableside and recommending pre phylloxera Bordeaux or a bottle of wine that's $1,500, I mean, a lot of people would be like, oh, yeah, 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 and shaking, but you're so calm and used to being a performer. And there's also the love and appreciation for, as you said, setting the table for an experience that we're, everyone's going to have an amazing time. Right. Um,
1: it's, so I have... I feel like I have so many different directions and thoughts about this.
0: I can help you break it down if you want to go the nightmare night where nothing, <laughs> <laughs> something went really bad, and then other nights where it's just like holy shit, like Mick Jagger high fived me on the way out. I don't know, like,
1: um, so I mean, the I believe that every service in every restaurant, regardless of the the level of service or hospitality or experience is a war against the forces of chaos and you and your colleagues are engaged in a battle to make sure that your guests have no idea that this war is going on and if you if they figure it out you have lost the battle for the evening Wow. Um,
0: that's a really. But most inc- of the
1: time, we win. Yeah, you know?
0: that's a pretty incredible way because uh, of looking at it because um, exactly because at that level, number one in the world, these people have been to. You name the chef, you name the restaurant, every Michelin star restaurant in Paris and Geneva, all, all over the world. They've been to the best, and now you're like you're number one. Okay, let's see what you got because you know this is what I had when Alain Passard cooked for me in Paris. Chef, so that's what you're up against.
1: So I th- like. From a in terms of guests, one of the really amazing things about Eleven Madison Park is we get so many different kinds of people. Like there are there are one hundred percent people who are like I'm. I have. I have collected like 50 Michelin stars. You know, or you know, every year we go and see how many of the restaurants in you know the top 20 on the San Pellegrino list we can go to, or whatever. And then you have people who literally who save up for years. Yeah, and this is, you know. It's, it's literally a once-in-a-lifetime experience for them, and they have no idea what they're supposed to do or how they're supposed to be. And, and our job, I mean, our job at the end of the day is, as hospitality professionals is to see people and to understand basically immediately how they want to be taken care of and take care of them that way. Right. Um, and it's, you know, while the most fun is probably when you get a table who you know, knows what they're doing and really loves wine and just wants to, like, talk about, you know parsing out vintages or different vineyards from like Dujac or Vumier or whatever and, mm. and they like and they're like in and they don't care like money is literally no object they don't care they just want like all of the best things right. like that's Ooh. super fun yeah, obviously for us yeah. Yeah. but the, I think the the experiences that are most memorable are, are not necessarily those people they're there are people who were um, were celebrating things that were really personal to them, Yeah. and it was really a special experience. And we had the luxury at EMP of having a team of people to literally like create magical legends for people. So you, you can you can do you can do whatever, honestly, yeah. as long as you can come up with the thing um, and
0: tell me one experience because i know they have an incredible behind the scenes like you make a reservation they start doing their work right there of like have these people been here before Mm -hmm. uh it their first time in new york like one of these experiences where you just blow people away
1: oh man um i feel like right now i keep coming back to this one couple who like breaks my heart Mm. um Um, oh.
0: I'm sure it's. I don't know if I
1: can talk about them actually.
0: Okay. Um,
1: but like, oh, I don't know. Like, like we had a guy. I had. A, I took care of a guy in the bar who kept talking to me about he how he loves to make Chardonnay slushies at home. And I was like, oh, do tell. Tell me more. <laughs> like, what are you doing with this? How do you make these? He's like, I don't add any sugar. I just like, I just freeze it and shake it up. And I was like, yeah. oh, my God, you're um, a monster. Okay. Um, but... <laughs> We we got around to the fact that I think his favorite producer is Kistler. Like, he loves Kistler, and he loves to make Chardonnay slushies.
0: And so I had... That's a good one to make one, though. It's got a little pineapple-y kind of... Right? Yeah, it's over the top a little bit. Yeah, And good.
1: so I went back to the kitchen, and I was like, hey, Laura, who is our, our um, pastry chef, would you, you know, <laughs> would you freeze this with liquid nitrogen for me and turn it into a set of Chardonnay slushies? She was like, sure, I guess so. Yeah. Um, so we did, and he was like,
0: <laughs> "Yeah, that's." Oh my yeah, god, uh,
1: I can't believe you. Uh, you know, so yeah. so I like I I tend to gravitate towards silly legends.
0: That's kind of cool. Look, know? I, I got to say, a moment ago, I was touched by how um, how beautiful it is that you have this incredible intimate experience with somebody and you'd rather not share it. I think that's really spectacular because it, it says to me exactly what you said this is for you which is creating this amazing experience and some things you don't really need to talk about. It is an intimate thing and that's very cool and it's beautiful and I—and that's the feeling I think people got when they went there. I've been there a couple of times uh, fortunately. you We had drinks one night and you took care mm-hmm. of us and Uh, We did a blind tasting with a couple of of guys. I was fortunate to guess, I think, pretty close to what we were drinking, (laughs) which I was happy. But uh, you're like knowledge encyclopedic. So let's get back to one second Mm -hmm. the MS thing. Mm -hmm. So uh, you took the MS, and uh, there were a bunch of people who um, uh, the pin was taken back because somebody leaked information. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, which, by the way, how long does it take to, to, were you working on your MS up to that point? How many years?
1: Um, I, so I started sitting for exams in 2012. I passed the intro and the certified in like a three month span that year. And then I spent two years working on the advanced. Um, I got waitlisted the first time around. I'm not sure if I would have passed it if I'd gotten the seat that I wanted in 2013. Um, but I, was really ready for it in 2014 which is good right. um and then I took a year off because um, I had a lot going on at North End Grill and it wasn't going to be feasible to study effectively for theory and so I sat theory in 2016 and passed theory and service that year and then um did not was a disaster actually. I'm pretty sure in 2017 at the exam it was a very bad tasting, and uh, then uh, passed in 2018.
0: Right. So the uh, so I, I'm setting this up because uh, we've talked about this before on the show. It's just it is rigorous. It's like getting your your uh, Ph.D. I mean the amount of time, money, energy. Effort, academic energy that's put into it, and then the tasting of ridiculous wines, uh, just so you can hit the blind tasting out of the park, which is a tough one because that's not academic. A lot of people have the, I think, the intellect to be able to do it. Blind tasting is now another gift and takes a lot of practice. So you got your MS pin. I had uh, one of your in that uh, one of that uh, class uh, with Steve Mm -hmm. uh, Iwashuda, Iwashuda, who who is at uh, Portale, Mm -hmm. and he you know got a job offer basically out of that and uh, still thank god got paid got the pin taken away and he yeah. never he did he retested and didn't do it and, and had rightly so he's just like i'm just pissed and i just couldn't get over the that mm-hmm. i got screwed like that mm-hmm. um you did it and you came back and you said fuck it i'm doing it mm-hmm. i am my resilience that's the joke at the beginning of the msms and i think you should use that and you should wear <laughs> two pins um ms squared and I mean, square is perfect. Yeah, that's cool. Just a little, little two over the <laughs> pin. That is awesome. I think we just created your like logo for mm. your, your branding, your business. <laughs> um, but it, it's, I mean, you're it, just to power through that is absolutely amazing, and um, uh, I, I'm blown away by it. And so I, I, I can't believe it, but uh, but actually now talking to you about like when you are in theater and drinking, you know, uh, Rieschborg, you know. <laughs> I guess but there was also one bottle I'm sure that you're like I fell madly in love with wine but with the MS thing now like what what is going on with the whole Master Sommelier thing I mean I'm um, three Master Sommeliers recently resigned Uh, Richard Betts Mm -hmm. uh, McClintock and then Nate Reddy Nate Reddy I know personally Mm -hmm. and Nate to me was like his idea was like, this isn't really about me. I don't swim in these circles. He has a farm mm-hmm. in the Columbia Gorge. Mm-hmm. He has a beard. I mean, I had him on, I said, you know, used to work at like uh, Frosca and, and you had a like, and he worked at the French Laundry and and he had like bespoke suits. Now he has a beard and like wears overalls. I'm like, what are you, like, what are you in the witness protection program? Like where the fuck, how do you, so So culturally it didn't fit his lifestyle. But mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that Betts and McClintock walk away because it's not, um, uh, it's too inclusive or run by a certain group of people they don't agree with But I also think it's it's kind of easier to walk away once you've already made your millions on the back of the fact that you pimped your MS uh, To sell your brands like Richard did and uh, McClintock So I mean it's easy to walk away once you've made it I feel sorry for the people who have their MS or getting their MS now and now there's this fire burning So wh- what's that about for you? Because you're, you're, oh, an, you're the MS so many squared. Feelings, John. So fire it up. I have so many <laughs> feelings. Um,
1: all right. I'm trying to decide where to
0: start. Okay. That's fine. I'll tell you what. Think about it for a second. We're going to talk about this wine that we're drinking because it <laughs> is drinking on the job and it'll give you a chance to, to think for a second. So we are drinking, um, I always try to match the wine to the person. Uh, this okay. is Trace Mission. So it's uh, a white wine from Ribera Sacra, which is a uh, kind of in the northwest corner of Spain by Valladolid and Baixas. It's right, the Valdoras, right? Mm-hmm. And super steep. Uh, they have two parcels on both sides of the river, mm-hmm. and um, only 10% of white wines from Ribera Sacra is mostly red. So it's unique, it's rare, and this is only 300 bottles made, and you're this unique and rare. Oh, so that's why we're having well, thank it. Thank you. <laughs> But, and it's also like so delicious. I was dying to open it. But, so that's, I mean, the MS thing is like, it's crazy. This whole world seems upside down right now.
1: It does. Right. It's, um, I, I constantly think about how badly I feel for Devin Brolia, who's the current chairman of the board. Oof. Like, the organization has sort of been sailing along large. Like, there's, look, it is It is an organization full of people with very strong opinions and very large personalities. And we don't agree on almost anything ever. Like we all really like each other and we all believe in the mission, but we argue constantly about like how to do it and what's better and what priorities we should have. Like it's.
0: So are you on some kind of committee, like uh, a task force that uh, no, no, I'm not
1: currently on any committees. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm also very new to the organization. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: But you know what? They need to hear new voices because um, it is a a small, uh, inclusive club run by the same people. And I think um, uh, I don't. And by the way, I have an immense respect for MS's. And and I can see why differing opinions, you guys all stick together, because to go through it's kind of like going through a war. Right. You may not agree with the person you're in the trenches with, but man, they have your back. Right. And and MS's, I don't know how how many there are in the country now. Um,
1: uh, so something in the range of like one sixty ish somewhere. It's crazy. It's small. So I, I get it. There's
0: there's a, there's a camaraderie, There's a, an organization there. Uh, but you know, I've also seen MSS who uh, who consult on wine lists and they put the biggest garbage wine list together because they have to take care of the people that paid for all the trips so they could, you know, I'd, sure. I'd, I'd, and I'm Although not going to name names is, here, but
1: I it yes. You know. But, and I then, would just argue they, they, that there are people all around the industry of course. with various yeah. levels of certification <laughs> sure. who put garbage on one yeah, list yeah. to appease the people yeah. who are paying
0: them. That's, uh, yeah, exactly. And I, and I think that um, I would think moving forward, if there's anything they want to change, it might be have some kind of uh, you know committee of like, you know, if you're going to consult on a list, like maybe, maybe, or maybe don't take that trip or... Um, or don't? I mean, it certainly tarnishes the reputation with such a small group of people holding this incredible esteemed position. Uh, um, same way, and like, just how do we open this up to more people? Sure. Uh, and still keep the academic rigor in place.
1: Right. So, so that's the big question right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, we have created a diversity committee. It is. Okay. It is. Seven people. Um, they wanted to keep it smaller so it could be more effective, which I agree with. Um, and they're extremely active in soliciting ideas and opinions from everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, the, here's the thing: like i th- I think that we all want to do the right thing. I personally believe that the most important thing that we can do is to m- find more and more active ways of making, especially the lower level exams. When I say that, I mean the introductory exam and the certified exam or introductory course and the certified exam more financially accessible to more people. Right. Um, I think that's super important. Um, and like there are some sort of branding and imaging things that like, yes, we should work on. Like our Instagram presence is terrible. Right. Um, it, it just is we could do better um you know we can figure out a way to to more accurately reflect the fact that most of us are or not most of us but it, a large number of us are like young interesting hip people who are not necessarily white um yes. like we could do that and but that but that's not an issue with the organization that's an okay. issue with our social media presence which is not the same thing and True. i I do feel at the moment, and this isn't exclusive to the court, that there is a lot of attention being paid out there by people in general to, like, what people say and do and how active their, like, defensive PR is. And I sort of think it's not actually the point. Um, But I also, like, at the end of the day people are going to have to look at what we're actually able to accomplish over the next several years and then hopefully decades. And like that, that'll say what we're doing and, and what anything we say now doesn't matter. But I will also say um, that I haven't been in the organization very long, mm-hmm. but the same people show up on the board over and over again because those are the only people who run for the board and agree to volunteer their time to do it. It's not like there's dozens of people putting their name in every board election to be like, hey, I want to make change. And I find it frustrating Mm -hmm. for people who are not currently trying to engage themselves with enacting the change that they would like to see to make a big show out of, like, walking away as if they had been doing all of this work and had gotten nowhere. Because it implies to the outside world who doesn't actually know what goes on inside of this small nonprofit organization that Mm -hmm. we operate that there is this, like, deep systemic opposition to change. More people who want to have you know agency over the direction of the organization need to step up and yes, volunteer their time and their energy to do it. You have to be a master level examiner to do that, right. which means it takes most of us like three or four years to get to that point.
0: It's too long. But it's too long. That's that's why that's why it takes so long to change, effect change. If you're waiting three and four years for somebody like you to get on that board.
1: Right, but there are
0: I I mean, I think they should just uh, have uh, one of the board members should just, uh, for lack of a better, adopt somebody who is like new to the court and say, bring me something new. What are we not doing right? As you said, social media. Right. And so somebody says, well, I'm not really good at social media. I am. I'm 26. I'm fantastic at social media. Cool. Can you lay out a plan for us to what you're talking about? That's the way to do it. Um, if it's moving that slow, you know, right now, everything moves so fast. We've seen this the way this is working now with like this. I see a kind of a crumbling infrastructure on, 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 in one way. But I think actually somebody like you uh, could easily uh, like help this organization. I don't think quitting is the answer. Right. And
1: I so. I also hmm? will say that in my time, and obviously it's it's been two years, the board various people on the board of directors have been extremely active in reaching out to me and asking for my opinions about things and like
0: That's great. Yeah. I personally
1: and everyone feels differently about everything sure. all the time. I personally feel as though the organization is actively trying to figure out how to actually do the right thing all the time. Um, I do not find it to be like impenetrable or closed off or unwilling to listen or dismissive of ideas.
0: That's good. I, I'm assuming that's why you're still part of it. Are, are you are you still waiting? Like, uh, there's a bunch of people in the wine I know who go like you know, I'm just waiting to see the next person that basically defects. And um, I've actually heard someone say, I'm surprised there's not a woman who's not leaving yet or speaking up.
1: I feel the need to point out that the only people who have left are white, heteronormative men, most of whom... Nate Reddy is a little bit different because I agree with you that he has gone so far in a different direction with his life that this probably just isn't valued to him anymore. But Richard Betts and Brian McClinton both are relatively famous, extremely successful white straight men.
0: Right. Which is what I said, why I said earlier, like it's, isn't it much easier to walk away once you've put $5 million in the bank and go, this organization is, is horrible, it's not inclusive, I'm out, I don't agree with yeah. this anymore. Well, you and sold three fucking brands and made f- millions of dollars, it's easy to walk away now. And, and, by the way, the thing that kind of annoys me is now you look like you're doing the right thing. So I'm going to call bullshit
1: and the like look, there's there's not a lot of women on the court. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of people of color. There are fewer people of color than there are women. Um, I do not think that this is specific to the quartermaster assemblies. It is it is an extension of the fact that people of color and women are generally not um supported as leaders within the hospitality and wine industries mm-hmm. because these are the industries that we work in. Sure. And if you are told or not even told just constantly, you know, passed over in favor of people who are less qualified but have more higher levels of privilege than you, like you don't necessarily think about continuing to move forward in in your career, you think about moving into something
0: else yeah, I agree um, and, and by the way, Danny Meyer just came out with his mea culpa like I'm sorry, I haven't done enough, right Daniel Jonas just came out. I'm sorry we have I mean that group alone is probably the most elitist wine group in the in the country <laughs> and we could go bigger. I mean it's it's two thousand dollars to go have dinner there and it's I mean it's just like crazy. But I mean there's a, I, I mean I think they're coming to it, but coming to it out of pressure of what's going on culturally, but they have to. I mean right. their their social media groups and their people sitting around the table going, Danny, you gotta say something. La Pollet like you have to say something here. Um because they're looking not so great right now. And and so they did come out and did a, you know, surely enough. Yeah. End and it it is it is up it, to
1: but. all of us. As leaders in the industry, to do everything that we can to actively invest our time in and mentor and and promote really wildly talented hardworking people of color sure. and women and if you are a woman or a person of color, it is easier to look at other people who look like you and say, "I believe in this person absolutely um and like we need we need more of that and there's there's lots of things that we need more of um and i think especially if we can get more of that in the industry in general You'll wind up having more candidates that look like that at higher level sure. exams.
0: Yeah, it's the Obama factor, right? Obama's president. is Like now, people of color look and go, "Hey, I could be the president." It's an amazing precedent to start like uh, now, and I'm, I'm I'm happy it's happening. So let's right. let's, let's slide into something restaurant stuff. wise. let's let's talk to a couple cool restaurants you love to go to with these great little uh, wine lists um, that you love. Um, favorite gems, hidden restaurants, or Hard well, to talk about now, today, but I like know. in the past. We'll right?
1: pretend. I Can love pretend? Charlie Burke. Yeah,
0: let's pretend. Let's pretend. Let's go back to simpler days. <laughs> Can we pretend <laughs> that everything is still is open right. and everyone yeah.
1: is going to reopen? Um, I mean, you just mentioned Pascaline, but I, I think the list at Racine's is awesome. Yeah, it's um, it's, it's really good. So, so well-priced and yeah. so delicious, and mm-hmm. it's great. Yep. Um I think uh, Luke Boland's list at Crown Chai is awesome. Oh,
0: some great stuff at Crown Chai. Great absolutely. stuff, absolutely. Also yep. very yep. well priced. Yep.
1: Also very savvy. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: Any natty places? I, I like I like June Wine Bar in Brooklyn, just because it's oh like yeah. I've funky, uh huh, funky like new stuff I've never heard of. I had a uh, an Australian pet nat that. I know people are like, I can't believe you like that. And I said, let me tell you why I like it. It tastes like the best chicken soup I've ever had in my fucking life <laughs> with kombucha. <laughs> I forget the producer's name, but I'm like, oh, that's I'm- what's fun. But it's also like you're spending 50, 60 bucks. Uh, you know, I'm just throwing away. Um, Alex LePrat has a really cool fun list, too. He's a bunch he of crew Beaujolais. He does. Um, and nothing hurts price-wise. Um, so. um
1: I am... I am a deep natural wine skeptic.
0: Ah, okay. That's cool.
1: Um, like I need it, I need it to be really clean.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Like I need it to be really beautiful.
0: Okay. Like you I don't, don't
1: care about your philosophy. Yeah. I want, I want to like the wine and therefore I want the wine to feel clean.
0: Let's talk quickly about, um, you worked a culinary giant, uh, past this year with, uh, Floyd Cardo's, mm-hmm. uh, at Tabla and, mm-hmm. uh, I've eaten at his uh, new restaurant in Soho not long ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he passed. That was very painful. For, you know, I know you worked with him, and there's mm-hmm. not... You know, there's always chefs have uh, notorious reputations, and he's one of those guys, like, everybody loved. Right?
1: Oh, Float's the nicest yeah. guy i will ever work for. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: That was, uh, that was a tough... That hit <gasps> everyone in the restaurant world. Everyone's just like... I remember when stopped, and my phone rang nonstop that day. Yeah. Everyone from... Who worked with met tabla from i mean he touched so many people's lives and oh, he was yeah. such a beautiful guy um mm-hmm. and uh you worked with him at north end grill mm-hmm. and uh, that was a great restaurant i loved it the clam pizza that was one of my favorite places <laughs> i my so my go-to at north end grill i go get clam pizza and you had the chocolate rose Rubentus. oh yeah So yeah, yeah. Have like yeah, a salty yeah. chocolate mm-hmm. with clam pizza Oh my god! Very
1: strong. Oh, strong choice.
0: <laughs> Thank you. That's my, my <laughs> moment of zen when I buy myself totally stressed. Out. I'm like, "Fucking, I'm going over to North oh, oh, man.
1: I'm gonna." That sounds great.
0: Uh, I gotta go hang out there. Um, but um, so, any cool wine bars you love to hang out at?
1: Oh, I mean, what eating, are you
0: drinking right now that really I've got a rocks your company
1: world? Company all I'm, the I'm, time, or Yeah, Company's to. event
0: is spectacular. Um.
1: um I'm really boring, John. I don't go anywhere. I just work.
0: You work well. Uh, actually, uh, me and I were talking earlier, like uh, pre this show, that uh, uh, we've both been working ridiculously hard and making the, the shittiest amount of money that we've ever made <laughs> in our life because we're just holding on to our fucking jobs for dear life during this era, mm-hmm. and um, it's it's kind of crazy. Where, where do you see we're going from here? What uh, I mean, we have a, an absolute new world order happening in New York mm-hmm. City. Um, it will not be the same for a very long time and maybe i don't know so you you tell me what you think the silver lining for that is and i'll give you my opinion on that
1: oh man um i think that like my Hmm. I, I've thought this for a while, actually, um, but it feels more um, specific now that I think the future of restaurants in in America is the neighborhood restaurant, mm-hmm. and that is probably uh, less of a statement outside of New York, because there's less, like, temples to fine dining in other places. Sure. Um, but I feel like the the thing that everyone wants is comfort right now um, and mm-hmm. is going to want, and it's going to need to feel affordable and accessible and preferably also really, like, personal and special. Mm-hmm. Um, it... Uh, Reminds me a little bit of. Um, so I I said earlier I moved to New York right before the market crash in 2008, and I was at I was very fortunate to be at Union Square Cafe. And while we were slower than before, and people weren't spending necessarily as much as before, we were substantially busier than a lot of restaurants in the city, and we really felt like the reason was that people as they felt like their life was like really falling down around them needed to feel like seen and recognized and taken care of and
0: I totally agree I saw my silver lining is this exactly what you're talking about Uh, New York has hit a a threshold of restaurants where you would go in and two people would have a couple of burgers some fried calamari a few beers it was two hundred dollars Every restaurant I walked into, the glasses of wine started at $17 a glass. And there seemed to be, like, no end to it. And it just made no sense after a while for a lot of restaurants. We would always joke, why does a piece of chicken cost $30 in New York now all of a sudden? And part of it is because the cost of operating a restaurant, all Mm -hmm. those things. So now I think this is a reset. So I'm hoping that what you're talking about is more in play, a place that you feel comfort. Um, Landlords adjust rents. Operating costs come down. And that saves our industry, and it becomes back to something warm and personal and and charming. So uh, I always end the show with this uh, format. I say, for you, I'm going to say, the mothership just landed, and it's taking you away from this planet. You're leaving Earth, um, and who knows when you're going to come back. So what's your last meal? What's your last bottle? And what piece of music are we listening to as the mothership takes, leaves Earth, and leaves us in this place that's about to apparently implode. So good for you for leaving. <laughs> so what are you eating?
1: Um, so for anyone who doesn't know, um, I grew up um, in my mother's Korean. My father's like white American generalized type person. <laughs> I'm sure he loves that description. <laughs> He's a generic white guy. Yeah, <laughs> generic um, white guy. <laughs> and my grandmother basically like raised us and did all of the cooking mm. when i was growing up my korean grandmother um, oh, that's good for you so
0: no instant potatoes that's good go ahead sorry
1: no instant potatoes <laughs> there was there was potatoes she would make um what she sometimes refers to as gi food which is um because she oh, she worked okay. on the army base oh, okay. in korea right. when okay. during the conflict sure. right okay um so she got she refers to like very American food is like G. GI food. Oh, that's so fucking good. Um, so like, you know, oh my God, sausage good. and meatballs and like... so good. <laughs> corned beef and cabbage and all of that, all that stuff. Um, so it would be... Oh God, it would probably, it would be spicy pork belly and like Korean style spicy pork belly and rice, obviously, white rice. Mm-hmm. And... Oh, either Chopche or uh, Seafood pageant, which is the Pancake.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Um, and uh, uh, Gewächs Weißburgunder im Sonnenschein.
0: That's the drink. Very That's the wine. In. That's yes. the wine,
1: yes. <laughs> it's a dry white wine based on Weißburgunder, which is Pinot Blanc from yeah. Germany. Okay.
0: <laughs> Thank you for explaining that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, Preferably with, like... Your
0: MS is showing, by the I way. Know.
1: <laughs> Preferably with, like, 8 to 10 years of age. Okay. All
0: right.
1: And, um... I don't know what the music is. Um, I feel like I can't decide if the music wants to be nostalgic or if it wants to be, like, energizing. Because there's... It feels the like a The ship a journey. is leaving.
0: Sure. So give me two pieces of music.
1: Um... Well, if it's nostalgic, it's probably Bridges by Dispatch.
0: Okay. Which
1: is a favorite band of mine when I was younger. Okay. Um, And if it's hopeful, actually, this maybe is also nostalgic. Um, Oh, and I can't remember the name of the band. (laughs) That's so embarrassing, but it's totally a one hit wonder. uh, but you got the music in you.
0: Oh, I love that song. Yeah, yeah. I don't know who the band is either. It, yeah, it's
1: yeah. the new something, yeah. but I don't remember.
0: That's awesome. I, you know, I feel like I could sit here and talk to you for another hour easily. Uh, but I want to say thank you so much for uh, being on. And uh, the other question, like, where the fuck do you get this drive from? You just don't seem to stop, right? And do you? Is that something that was <laughs> like you can put your finger on, or you're like just? Um, Always been there?
1: This is, this is a little dark, probably, but um, as I just mentioned, I was raised by two Korean immigrants. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, when you're raised by Korean parents, particularly Korean immigrant parents, um, you grow up with two dual understandings. Um, one is that you... Have literally no choice but to work harder, faster, and better than everyone else.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: Um, Because that is the expectation. Sure. Yeah. Um. And the other is that at any moment you could lose everything.
0: Wow. That's that makes sense. It makes total sense. And you know, I talked to a lot of people when uh, from a White House photographer who was on and uh, um. We, just, we talk about the hustle and why some people just have it so deeply goddamn ingrained in their body and in their soul. And to me, it's very obvious that you have it, hence the MSMS, MS Squared, the new logo that you were going to use for you. But I can't thank you enough for coming on and uh, sharing some time with me. Thanks for being on, drinking on the job.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check us out at dotjpodcast.com. Until then, I'll see you at the bar.